Polybius or Polybius, um, I think one of the biggest mysteries is actually how to pronounce the thing, is a um, internet urban legend about video games that may or may not have existed in the Pacific Northwest during the early 80s, or specifically 1981. People have said that the game uh, quickly came and went out of the uh, out of our uh, various arcades in the Portland area, and that they would cause uh, certain side effects in players. Um, Things benign, such as, you know, insomnia or headaches, to the much more severe night terrors. And there have been some people that have said that it's also uh, was the cause of people committing suicide. And, and also there has been talk uh, that Polybius may have brainwashed players as well. It, a lot of this is, or somewhat all of this is... is uh, based on testimony, and there are photographs that you can find online. Um, it's questionable whether or not those are, are doctored photos. Um, they may not be real cabinets. But, you know, it's an intriguing legend because anyone that, you know, likes urban mythology and, and likes video games, and, and uh, for those that actually grew up during the 80s where a lot of these mysteries you would hear uh, if you stepped into an arcade or you'd hear at school or, you know, you didn't have, um, you couldn't verify these things online. These uh, tales and these uh, stories would slowly become legend and, and people would take them as fact. And, you know, for, for me myself, I mean, I'm a, definitely a video game enthusiast and a, and a big uh, fan of urban mythology. And it's just always been a story that I have found uh, quite fascinating. You've been listening to producer, writer, and director Todd Luoto, who has been researching the mysterious urban legend of Polybius, which some say is a government mind control experiment disguised as a highly advanced video game. Todd was gracious enough to join me on Skype from Los Angeles to talk about Polybius and his upcoming podcast exploring the urban legend itself and the culture and mystery that surrounds it. I'm also joined by Natalie Zarelli, who wrote an excellent online article about the game for the Atlas Obscura, the urban legend of the government's mind-controlling arcade game, the twisted tale of Polybius, the world's most dangerous video game. This was the article that first introduced me to the Polybius story and to Natalie as well, and you'll find her on a couple of previous episodes of this podcast. So I've been waiting to talk to Todd about his project for a long while now, basically ever since I read Natalie's article. So let's jump right into this discussion. Can you describe like what this game is supposed to be like? It's kind of like Space Invaders, or is it more sort of basic than that? Sure. I, I mean, a lot of people uh, say that the game was similar to Tempest. Uh, it didn't require a joystick. Uh, it was a space shooter game, uh, is what people say, and, and that it used both vector and raster technology at the time, which during the early 80s was impossible, which is also you know something that people have found fascinating about the game, that if it did exist, um, it seems like the technology was way ahead of, of what people knew uh, existed at the time. There's a lot of conflicting reports as well. Um, I've talked to a player who said that at, at one point in the game that it would just go black. And um, by that point, he was already so uh, accustomed to the gameplay that he would actually have to navigate uh, kind of the spaceship through like a, like a black hole of sorts. And it was the repeating patterns at that point, which, you know, enabled him to, you know, get to the next level. 
it's really interesting to me to hear about, you know, that there's kind of these first person accounts of what the gameplay was like. How did you find people to talk to about this? When I started uh, researching with my partner, John Frechette, I mean, most everything that we, you know, heard and read about, it was always these anecdotal accounts. Mostly was, you know, I, I know somebody who played the game or, you know, I, I remember seeing the game, but I never quite played it myself. So it took a long time to actually talk to people that uh, had had actually played the game. Because of that, there's, there's a lot of conflicting reports. And in some cases... People that John and I have talked to, I mean, it's it's pretty apparent that they, uh, in a lot of cases, that they think what they played was Plebeus, but it ends up being, you know, either, you know, like a Tempest prototype or another game entirely. But it was one of the hardest things that uh, for us was to actually find, um, you know, people that not only play the game that we but that we also believe played the game um, because there's a lot of people that, that just love to claim that they have uh, played Polybius when, you know, in fact, that's just not, not the case. And I mean, I think that uh, a lot of people might hype that up, obviously. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's prestige or, you know, it's, it's uh, perhaps um, ego. <laughs> Certainly anyone that, that played the game, if, if the game did indeed exist, it's definitely a limited number of people that got that opportunity. You know, in a culture, I think, where the players kind of pride themselves of being the first and in this case, like the only ones to play it. I mean, it could be something that could be used, you know, for boasting and whatnot. You're kind of privy to this insider fringe phenomena. Yeah, I mean the arcade, the arcade scene, the vintage arcade scene. Um, while you know I th- we have like a lot of love and passion for it, I mean it's it's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of interesting characters for sure. And I mean one of these interesting characters is uh, this Cat Despira person. I, I read a little bit about the- Ahura as well. Sure. Um, yeah, Cat. Cat. Uh, I mean, has been a pivotal part of our research. Um, you know, started off as an acquaintance and has now become a friend. And and she uh, definitely is, uh, you know, a significant voice in the retro gaming community. And you know, is one of the the I guess you'd say the the, the leading or top researchers um, about the previous game. It's also interesting is that you know. Cat, uh, her research actually makes the makes a point that you know she doesn't believe that Plebeus existed, but at the same time, you know she uh, actually grew up in Portland in the eighties. I mean, she was a teenager at that time, and you know had heard people actually talk about the game um, or about a game. Uh, it wasn't you know a game with any artwork; it was an unmarked cabinet, and you know people would say things um, about. Uh, the game hurting people and, and causing um, side effects. And when she would, you know, be bold and go out to, you know, whatever arcade this was where people said that they played it, you know, she showed up and, and the game didn't exist anymore. But, you know, it was fairly common. Cabinets at that point would, would uh, be unmarked and they would just kind of swap out the boards. And, you know, these companies would sort of, you know, test different things and see if it, if any of these games had bugs and see if it actually clicked with, you know, the, the demo they were targeting. So it wasn't uncommon that there would be a game one week and, you know, and then an entirely new game in that same spot uh, the next. So, but Kat definitely, you know, through all her research and she's, she's definitely done a ton. Um, you know, still believes that uh, that you know, Plebeius um, isn't uh, isn't entirely real. 
I'm kind of interested in also when you were making the film, as it was when I was writing about it, I felt like I had to kind of be a little sensitive. Like I didn't want to offend anybody who did believe in Polybius when I was writing about these facts that kind of made it seem like Polybius doesn't exist. What was um, that like when you were making the film? And what, what kind of were you both thinking when you first went set out to make your movie? Um, I should say f at first, you know, we, we did set out to make a movie um, and uh, uh, shot a lot of footage. And John and I had these these expectations of, of doing a very, you know, polished documentary with, you know, very cinematic reenactments and, and could never quite get the budget we were hoping for. So um, that's why we sort of turned it into a podcast series with a, a lot of different subjects and interviews and, and you know, very nuanced and a, a, certainly a deep dive with all the research. But... Uh, I mean, in answer to your question about the different like types of uh, people we'd encounter and, and sort of exposing the truth, I mean, John and I weren't necessarily interested in, in proving whether or not the game exists. I mean, we always kind of think that you know the mystery is is um, you know qu quite often more more entertaining than the, uh, the than the truth, and and we never really wanted to drain Loch Ness, or as Cat puts it, like she didn't really want to take the mask off the Phantom. Um, it was just more about. Uh, talking to people that that did in fact you know believe uh, uh, what they played was plebeius and and you know at the same time just sort of diving into various ways that you know these these stories could spread and also sort of dissect you know the differences between a hoax and, and an urban legend and um, we have a, a speaker Joe uh, Strecker who's a, a tour guide from Portland uh, who talks extensively about that and you know we, we just think that the so, somewhat the truths around the game and whether or not the game existed the truths around the game are pretty fascinating in its own right so it, we never really wanted to you know expose it as a you know as, as a fraudulent thing and 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 I honestly haven't been able to um and i think john and i have kind of gone back and forth by you know after talking to certain subjects from you know not not believing in it at all and then talking to people and being like oh actually wait maybe maybe there's actually something here our our mission was was never to um to, to solve it although it certainly would have been great if we had found a cabinet <laughs> um <laughs> but even then i mean it might have just been a you know, it might have just been a, like a Tempest prototype or it might have just been, you know, a game that certainly looked similar to the gameplay that people are describing, but, you know, maybe didn't do anything more than cause headaches, didn't brainwash kids and didn't cause night terrors. And it might be kind of fun for a little while, but, you know, if, if that was the, the extent of, you know, what it was capable of, then that's, you know, that would certainly be a disappointment as well. Do you, do you have any favorite interviews or do you have like one particular interview maybe that got you thinking that really there was something very much to it? I mean, there's, there, we've talked to a lot of people and, and it's, it's been really interesting because I think we've always been optimistic that somebody, you know, that, 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 I mean, we want to make sure that the subjects are credible. And so we, we've gone into several interviews kind of hoping they are, and then like really quickly, acknowledging like oh this you know this kind of person is full of it and and um but you know there have definitely been some subjects where i mean what they say i mean whether or not whether or not if they played the game or not they certainly believe they did and there, there's one you know person in particular that we've done you know a number of interviews with that uh who his story about playing the game as as, as a child it has been kind of wrapped somewhat 
you know, tragically um, has been kind of wrapped up in his entire identity as an adult. I mean, he has, um, uh, you know, continues to kind of talk about this game and post about this game and, you know, claim that he's played the game and he's even, you know, done this walking tour in Portland. Portland, for whatever reason, loves to <laughs> loves to do walking tours. It's a very unique city with um, very unique people. But um, he, uh, you know, he it's just been fascinating because we, we certainly believe him. Uh, I mean, it took a little while, but at, at the end of the day, we, we definitely believe what, what he played was in fact, or he believes what he played was plebeious. But, you know, we, we, we're, we're not entirely sure. I mean, it's also hard to kind of recount things, you know, 30 plus years later with any degree of accuracy when it just, you know, when, when it's someone telling a story, when we're not able to kind of see, you know, uh, visual evidence or anything like that. Yeah, that's kind of the big thing that's missing, basically. Am I right? I mean, there, just that there isn't a real ROM of the game, that there isn't a cabinet that people have like been able to come up and show everybody at once. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely would agree. There are photos out there, but I, I mean, from what, what, you know, John and I have uh, believed that if the game did exist, um, that it most likely didn't have artwork. Um, there most likely wasn't, you know, a, a, you know, marquee that said, you know, Polybius, it was probably, um, you know, an unmarked cabinet. You know, so it would have been just a just a black cabinet with um, what was inside of it is what made the game unique. But everything you you know you can see online is just um, I mean it's kind of like the same artwork and it's it's it looks appropriate um, to that era. But it um, you know it's it's actually I, I don't know I don't think it's anything too fancy. <laughs> It makes, I mean, it makes sense that it would be unmarked, especially with uh, a lot of the sort of um, theories behind it. Like a, a big one is uh, MK Ultra. I was reading about uh, government mind control. And uh, the thing that I guess legitimizes this a bit is that MK Ultra was a real thing, right? So it, it fits. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, MKUltra was um, uh, definitely something that, you know, at this point is sort of ir irrefutable that the government was behind. And they actually had a, a sub-project, and, and now it's escaping me whether it was called Sub-Project 117 or 119, but it was about, you know, using digital technology, um, you know, which at that point, you know, there <laughs> um, was something that was kind of really advanced and very foreign, but it was for the idea of trying to manipulate thought through you know technological tools um which provides some sort of link to what the, the previous story is all about so there definitely is a potential link there and uh we talked to a conspiracy theorist um who's you know written books and, and novels but has done a ton of research in mk ultra and lives actually in the pacific northwest area just out, just outside of portland and you know he said that, you know, those were things that kind of happened often uh, with the government and that, you know, uh, Portland was a, uh, a testing site for uh, the government. It was also just a testing site for video games in general because it was sandwiched between Nintendo and, and Atari. So it, it definitely tracks, I mean, whether or not, you know, that's, it, there is indeed a connection. You know, we, we certainly were never able to prove that. 
If you do any studying of MK Ultra on Wikipedia, even you'll you'll notice that there is some pretty hardcore stuff going on in right here in Montreal where I am uh, on behavioral changes, like changing people's behavior based on on repeated sounds and and things like that. And uh, when I was reading about Polybius, I, I ran into this character. I think it's Stephen Roach. Right. <laughs> He's like the shady smoking man or something off... Uh, he, he just sort of appears out of nowhere, but there seems to be two Stephen Roaches. Yeah, it's interesting because it's, it's a question that we've asked too about the... Um, uh, so, so Stephen Roach, uh, he made a claim in, I think, March of 2006 that he was involved with the development of uh, Plebeus uh, in the early 80s. And, uh, you know, he says something that, like, he hopes to, like, lay it to rest or something. And, you know, his posting was kind of like an incoherent mess and, and talked about this um, German company called Sinischlosen. Um, I'm going to kind of botch the pronunciation of that, with which, you know, is just kind of like a made-up German name, which is kind of taking, like sense delete or sense remove and and it's just if you ask any like german native speaker it's like that well that's not like a real that's not a real thing but he you know claimed that he was behind the game and didn't know that it that it was you know going to have the effects that it had and and cat was actually the one that you know did research and connected the stephen roach to a uh stephen roach that was part of a behavioral program uh, behavioral modification program that was originally in Mexico and then was actually in Europe. And, and I, we've talked to a number of people um, that were part of this program as well. I mean, they would kind of refer to themselves as survivors. And some people actually speak about the program uh, more positively than, than others. I mean, some people actually think, you know, it was, it was a really kind of toxic environment and, and that this Stephen Roach guy was, you know, psychologically abusive. And so it's just interesting. We're, you know, we have had a lot of questions if, if the Stephen Roach is indeed the same person. Um, but Kat actually, how she was able to connect the two stories is that the, the survivors that she had talked to actually said that the Stephen Roach used to quote Polybius. Polybius, who was the original, you know, Greek historian in the game, you know, is, is playing off of, of his, uh, his name, um, which is just kind of, is really bizarre, <laughs> you know, that... And anyone would quote uh, an ancient Greek historian, uh, first off, or anyone that's maybe not an academic, that this guy would do so at a behavioral modification program, and his name was Stephen Roach, and then the same, uh, or another, or the same Stephen Roach asserts to have uh, been behind the game. It's just, it's sort of a crazy, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of the web of conspiracy that we're, we're sort of speaking of, and, and pretty fascinating, and, and a little fun, but at the same time, you know, a little freaky as well. have other uh favorite conspiracy theories or like are you into them in general oh in general um oh yeah i mean i i I mean for for sure oh yeah i mean john john and i um you know are are kind of uh um john who i keep on talking about he's not you know he's been an instrumental part of this uh this project but um wasn't able to you know participate today but but yeah i mean we're we're kind of you know huge fans of, of different things i mean my my favorite i guess it's not even maybe a conspiracy theory but i mean it's definitely an urban legend um as a child was always Loch Ness. I always kind of thought I would make my way up to uh, Scotland. And and, um, and I remember actually hearing, um, I was actually in London at the time. I was on a bus and read a newspaper, which was just, um, it was an article that like, uh, where the surgeon had come out and admitted that that like very iconic 
photograph of Nessie was a fraud. And I just remember being so heartbroken about it <laughs> um, because it was something that I really wanted to believe in. And I think that's similar to a lot of people that, that play, you know, Polybius, where they, um, they, they want to believe in it for various reasons. I mean, whether like this one person, aforementioned person that, you know, whose identity was sort of tied up in the game or just, you know, others that just want to kind of believe in, I don't know, a little bit of uh, conspiracy or, you know, or magic or whatever, you know, it's, it's, um, I think it's something that, you know, most people find interesting for sure. And, and a ton of people in Portland for, for whatever, there's a lot of people there that believe in aliens that we, we talk to. And, and I mean, people that we talked to one player that believe that, you know, the aliens might actually be tied into the video game, which, you know, sounds a little bit like the last Starfighter. Um, people of course believe in, you know, Bigfoot or, or I guess that's not the appropriate thing to say to believe in Sasquatch, uh, up in Portland. And there's, you know, there's always kind of crazy rumors and stories and it's part of what makes that city and that state and the culture really fun. Do you guys like, uh, have any personal experiences with, like let's say the paranormal like ghosts or esp or something or unexplained events um be myself um no i mean i've never uh certainly open (laughs) to the idea of ghosts um i've never seen one i I don't know if they exist i mean i've I've taken ghost tours and they've they've kind of you know creeps me out for sure but you know beyond that it's just for me, it's just, it's really just something that I find very, you know, interesting. And, and actually what led me to believe in the first place is that I heard about a, this kind of made me go down a rabbit hole, but I heard about, uh, I'm originally from, from Boston and, and I heard about a Pac-Man cabinet that was kind of circulating. These stories were kind of circulating across the internet and, and on Craigslist. And, and um, someone was trying to get rid of a arcade cabinet that they swore was haunted, um, which I thought was really kind of a, a fun story and you know they were just wanted to give it away for free and talked about like their daughter that this this seller caught his daughter one night like talking to the man in the machine and i thought that was pretty creepy and and was something that i originally tried to track down and find more about but um there wasn't a ton of info out there but that story actually led me to the previous story which you uh-huh. know for, for john and i sort of opened up the opportunity to make this project and got us really excited and yeah, I don't know. It's it's it certainly has been a a, a fun uh, you know five years of research and, and interviews. Do any of the people who are still you know really believe in Polybius or believe that it affected their lives feel like there's um, a tie with that? And or maybe I should ask like how do they still feel affected that you found through interviewing all these people by the game? Well, I think some people that played the game, it was, you know, sort of like people that you talked to that, you know, went skydiving. It was sort of like a fun thing that they did that, that um, is memorable for one reason or another. Um, but the people that we've, we've kind of chosen to, to focus on, you know, and I, I certainly have had uh, more lingering effects of what, well, you know, what the game did to them. And it, it was more psychological effects and for you know for this one uh, individual who who is is really kind of the most outspoken person that, that we talked to and we've, we've interviewed him several times i mean again the, the game is just so is so connected to his his 
personality. And, you know, it, it would almost be devastating for this individual to realize that the game wasn't wasn't real. I mean, kind of for his sake, you know, John and I keep hoping that that, that no one at least unearths, you know, a clue that, that proves that it isn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's mostly it's sort of, you know, the, the long-term effects are, are benign, um, but there are certainly uh, individuals where the mystery continues to be very real. And the effects of, of making claim, you know, and, and, and telling people, hey, I, you know, I believe this thing that most people would just kind of like brush off as like you're you know you're insane or you're crazy and that has you know ramifications as well it's kind of ironic that uh, when i looked up polybius the historian because it was a greek historian his big assertion was that historians should never report what they cannot verify through interviews with witnesses Right, I know that's the irony of the game. I mean, it's it's very clever <laughs> for sure. Uh, when I first saw that uh, too, it it was um, I don't know, kind of, definitely kind of funny uh, because that's what kind of we know about the game is you know it's through testimony and accounts that in many cases we can't verify. You know, you've been researching this for five years. I know you started with at the outset of trying to make a film, but I'm really excited for the podcast. How did it turn from a film into a, a podcast for you? for you guys and what can we expect from the podcast that's to come sure yeah and I'm, I'm, i should say too I'm, I'm trying to kind of hold some stuff back i don't know just because oh, um, no, yeah <laughs> yeah be, because the podcast isn't out and i i, I don't want to speak to things that you know we we sort of reveal in, in our project sure. um, but i, I don't want to kind of rob you of that either but um i mean for us it, it, it you know it just it just came down to to not being able to have the resources to make the movie we, we wanted to but it, it has been somewhat serendipitous because we have uh made this podcast it will be eight episodes it'll be about a half hour each and so we can really uh, we do you know extensively kind of go into all these different theories of what or who might have been behind the game and the different claims that people have made and uh, the different subjects who have claimed to have played the game and, and talk about their stories and, and, and their backstories and, and, you know, what they're doing um, present day, you know, and trying to, in some cases, find the game again. Uh, it's allowed us definitely to go deeper with, with all these sort of things where we're, you know, cramming into a, a 90 minute or, or two hour experience. It, it just would have been, you know, an ab abbreviated way to tell the story. So uh, thankfully, the, the, the medium of this podcast, you know, just allows us, I think, to do a much more comprehensive job at, at telling the at telling the story and, um, you know, and, and hopefully at the end of the end of it all, you know, we'll kind of say all, you know, we want to say about it at the moment, you know, until, until somebody actually, you know, finds a game in a storage locker or whatever. And, and, um, but that has not happened yet. So, but we're still, you know, in the middle of kind of editing, uh, together, um, all these interviews and yeah, I don't know. We're, we're really, you know, happy with how it's turning out and, and hope that people that, believe in the previous myth and the people that don't believe in previous myth and that have certain ideas or theories we we hope you know at the end of this that everyone is is happy that it's you know uh educational and illuminating experience and and entertaining and um you know again we, we weren't really trying to to drain log nest with this we really wanted um to just focus on why you know the previous myth is is so special to us and and to you know to the kind of greater community. I mean, let's say someone hears that podcast and then they're like, oh, yeah, I know all about Polybius. Look, I, I have this old game in my attic, this ROM. Here it is. I mean, that would be like the ultimate fantasy. 
but uh, until then, I guess I could be like season two or something. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, I'm totally looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I'm really glad that you're able to use all that hard work and make this into something. Like a, I'm so excited for it, too. So <laughs> We appreciate it. Thanks so, so much for being on the show, Todd. Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. Thanks to, thanks to you, too, Natalie. Yeah, thank you as well. I emailed Todd since the taping this interview, and he told me that the podcast episodes on Polybius will actually form the first season of a new podcast called Unknown USA. So coming up soon will be Unknown USA, The Polybius Conspiracy. It's due out in the summer, August at the latest, so keep an eye out in iTunes and Stitcher. You can also read Natalie's articles over at Atlas Obscura, and you can visit her website, nataliezarelli.com. The intro theme is by Chromatics Music, and it's used with permission. The arcade sounds at the start of the episode come from a real-life home arcade showcased over at Doug's Home Arcade Collection channel at YouTube. As with everything else I talk about here, there will be a link to that on the show notes. Other music used in this episode is by my high school friend Matt McClellan and previous show guest Azuria Sky. The tracks used are In the Game Part 1 by Matt McClellan, Left by Azuria Sky, Things We Almost Lost by Azuria Sky, In the Game 2 by Matt McClellan. Check out their Bandcamp pages by using the show notes. Remember, you can read the show notes, listen to old episodes, and subscribe using your phone over at sharealicepodcast.com. I hope you'll be back next episode. Until then, your homework is to leave a positive review and rating over at iTunes. Goodbye until next time, and thanks so, so much for listening. <laughs>